Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A very happy 4th of July weekend right here on KFI AM 640. I know I said that last weekend, but hey, 4th of July fell on a Thursday this year. What can I tell you? Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money. Thanks for joining me this holiday weekend. Hope your 4th of July was absolutely fabulous, my favorite holiday of the year. There was That, that, that comment generated a lot of debate as a lot of folks were arguing over whether they prefer 4th of July or Thanksgiving. Yeah, I agree. Those two go neck and neck, don't they, in terms of popularity. But anyway, my favorite, 4th of July, and I know you had a wonderful time, and I'm really glad you did. And we're all having a wonderful time in the stock market, too. Have you seen the investment results? So far this year, for the first six months, from January 1 through June 30, the S&P 500 has posted the best first half of a year in 22 years. Yes, we're really very excited. The S&P grew in the second quarter 3.8%. That's an annual pace of more than 15%. Actually, we've done even better than that because the first quarter was even better than the second quarter. We're up 17% so far year to date. It is the best first half of a year since 1997. Pretty exciting. Okay, the S&P was up 3.8% in the second quarter. Does that mean you're lamenting the fact that you didn't have all of your money invested in the stock market? Well, the S&P 500 was not the best performing asset class for the past three months. No, 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 not by far. Do you know what was the best performing asset class for the past three months? With a gain not of 3.8%, but a gain of 18%. Corn. (laughs) Yes, corn futures rose 18% in the last uh, three months. Uh, Wheat did almost as well with a gain of 15%. Cocoa was up 7.5%. Would it have occurred to you to invest a significant amount of your money into cocoa, wheat, or corn? Chances are you would have been just as likely to have invested in cotton. It fell 19%. Yeah, orange juice futures were down 16% in the three months. This is why we have to make sure that we're not getting cocky. The S&P could have been any one of those. I mean, the stock market could have gone up 18% in three months, I suppose, and it certainly could have fallen 19% in three months for sure. So this is why we must not get cocky. This is why we don't have all of our money in any one investment or asset class or market sector, because we don't know what's going to happen next. And in fact, that is the big question, isn't it? It's not a question of, gee, boy, did we do great. How come I didn't own more of that? No, 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 no. The real question is, what should I own going forward? What's going to happen next? Now, I think you know what I would say in answer to that question. 
What's going to happen next? Nobody knows what's going to happen next. That's the only answer I can give you. But that's not the answer USA Today provided. This past Monday, on July 1st, USA Today ran a headline announcing what's going to happen. There's the headline. It says, Stocks Brace for Second Half Turmoil. Way wrong answer! I mean, how do they know that? How do they know that, A, stocks are bracing? First of all, stocks aren't alive. I don't know that they're bracing for anything. It's sort of like TV prepping. What, 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 TV? What? Huh? I don't think stocks are bracing for anything. Second of all, turmoil? How do they know that there's going to be turmoil? What exactly does turmoil mean? Does turmoil mean at the end we are higher or lower than we are today. I think here's what's a reasonable conclusion. The stock market since 1926 has been averaging 10% per year. That's the average annual return of the market, according to Ibbotson Associates. Now, we all know that no year actually produces a 10% return. I mean, I don't think that we've ever had an actual year with a Profit has been a 10% gain. But on average, you know, if it's up 12 one year and up 8 another, there's an average of 10. You know, it's that old joke I give you here on the show that the average American family has 3.2 children, but I've never seen anybody with actually 3.2 children, if you get my meaning. So it's the average. Now, if we've been up so far 17% for the year, well above average, we should be up 5 at this point, halfway through the year, right? If we're going to have an average of 10 by halfway done, we should be up five. We're up 17. What does that suggest? Well, it suggests that you can probably anticipate that stocks won't grow in the second half of the year as rapidly as they grew in the first half of the year. They certainly could. We've had a lot of years when the stock market has gained 34% for the year. It certainly could happen. Does that mean you should expect it to happen? I don't know. And that's really the question. So the answer to the moral here, the the, the way you resolve it is simple. Number one, let's not get cocky. Let's not assume that we're going to continue to enjoy a second half equal to the first half. That's number one. Number two, so what? You don't have all of your money in stocks in the first place. This is why you should be having assets in other asset classes. And third, who cares what happens by the end of the year? Unless you're planning on liquidating your investment on December 31. Is that what you're planning to do? Are you going to liquidate your entire portfolio on December 31? I didn't think so. What is your plan? Well, you're not planning on spending the money or touching the money or depleting all of the account for years, decades. In other words, why is there such a ridiculous fixation on the stock market anyway, on the next six months anyway? It's just largely irrelevant. And that's, I guess, what you could accuse me of having done right here, spending the last several minutes talking with you about something that's irrelevant. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Well, I'm just trying to get your attention here. Let me change the subject. In the world of investment asset classes, how did real estate do? First six months of this year, year to date, real estate, the S&P Case Schiller Real Estate Index, is up 2.5%. 
That's fairly well in line with real estate, a little bit better than usual. But here's something you may not know. If you look at all the starter homes in America, that's a phrase I think is a new one, starter home, this is something that is relatively inexpensive, right, because it's your first house that you're buying. If we look at all the starter homes in America, this includes townhouses and such, look at all the starter homes that were sold in America so far this year, investors bought 20% of them. Did you know that? By the way, how do we define a starter home? These are the homes that are priced in the bottom third of your local market. So this is the bottom portion, the most affordable of houses. Investors bought one out of five of those homes. Why? Well, there are fix and flippers. They buy houses really cheap. They quickly resell them for a profit. There are institutional investors who rent the properties out long-term, looking for current income and long-term appreciation. Then there are traders. They buy properties and they try to sell them as quickly as they appreciate, sometimes within weeks. The U.S. residential real estate market is a $26 trillion marketplace, and investors are now becoming dominant players in the market. This has negative implications for communities. Why? Because investors are often willing to pay more for the house. And by buying up so many of them, they reduce the available inventory for people who want to actually live in the house. And it makes the rest of the neighborhood that much more expensive, partly due to the supply and demand and partly due to the run-up of prices. So cities are beginning to deal with this, and they haven't successfully done so yet. But if you're wondering why is it that real estate prices in the low-end marketplace are doing better than the high-end marketplace – One reason could be because of institutional investors getting in on the action. I'm Rick Edelman. I'm glad you're with me here on this holiday weekend. When we come back, we're going to talk about Deutsche Bank, a big announcement it made, potential implications for you, and speeding tickets. How much do they really cost? All that and more here on The Rick Edelman Show. I want you to stay with us for a lot on this program. Investments, taxes, mortgages, insurance, college planning, retirement planning, buying houses, leasing cars, getting out of debt, you name it. That's what we'll provide answers to for you here at Edelman Financial Engines. Call us at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at ricedelman.com. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's has ranked Edelman Financial Services as the number one independent advisory firm in the nation based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investor returns and experience are not considered. Edelman combined with Financial Engines advisors in November 2018. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for hanging around this holiday weekend. Big news from Deutsche Bank, and it's not really good. They have announced they might cut 20,000 jobs around the world. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? <laughs> That's 22% of their workforce, 90 jobs around the world. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? <laughs> That's 22% of their workforce, 91,000 employees 
18,000 of them might lose their jobs, uh, according to the bank. They're struggling to compete on a global basis. I want to ask you the question, do you work for Deutsche Bank? There are a lot of Americans who do. And if so, you've heard the news already. I want to ask you a simple question. What have you done about it? See, this is what drives me crazy, is that every so often a big company will announce layoffs. And they're doing so to give their employees a heads up. They're doing so because they're going to, in many cases, offer buyout options. They'll say, look, we're not forcing anybody to quit, but here's a buyout offer. You can accept it or not. And very often when people hear that layoffs are coming, they just sit and wait to see if they're among those laid off. Well, if you're hearing news that layoffs are coming, you should be proactively engaging in the search for your next job. You don't have to accept the next job, but wouldn't it be good to know that you've got one ready for you? In fact, just because you don't work for Deutsche Bank, maybe you work for Citi, maybe you work for Chase, maybe you work for Wells Fargo, maybe you work for UB, maybe you work for another bank. If Deutsche is cutting massively, is it possible that this is representative of a trend within that particular industry? You know, when one automobile manufacturer does a big series of layoffs or factory closings, it's often reflective of what's happening in the industry. Same thing in the airline industry, in the manufacturing industry, in the computer industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, et cetera, et cetera. So you should be using this as a warning sign. And using that opportunity, the advance notice you're getting to say, it's time to update my resume. It's time to go looking in the marketplace because I'll tell you, it's so much easier psychologically, emotionally, from an anxiety perspective to be looking for a job when you don't need to. And answering the question, if you should lose your job, What is the impact on your personal finances? That's why you call us right now. Not because you got laid off, but because you are wondering that maybe you might. And if that were to happen, how are you financially? How long will you be able to pay your bills? And will you need to tap into your savings? Which of your savings and investment accounts should you tap into first? How should you handle the buyout? How should you handle the layoff notice if it comes? What do you do with the money in your retirement plan at work? You have four options. You can take the money, pay the taxes and IRS penalties. You could leave the money where it is. You could roll the money over to your next job or you could roll the money over to an IRA. Which of those is best? for your situation? What are the tax implications? What are the IRS penalty implications? What are the expense implications for leaving the money where it is versus moving it somewhere else? What are the investment risk implications? Lots to talk about, lots to consider. How do you make sure you maintain health care coverage during the transition? How can you make sure it doesn't adversely impact your other aspects of personal finance? So this is a key opportunity for you to take advantage of the dynamic nature of your lifestyle. So if you suspect that there might be a layoff headed, or just let's make it theoretical, if you were to receive notice, would you know what to do next? That's why it's called financial planning. Hope is not a financial plan. 
So call us at AAA Plan Rec. Meet with my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines. We can assess your situation, show you what you need to be doing that perhaps you're not doing, tweak a few things here or there, and perhaps we may do for you what we've done for so many others who have contacted us. We pat you on the back, tell you to keep doing exactly what you're doing. And that confirmation is worth a huge amount when you're getting ready to have a good sleep easy factor when you get home tonight. Hey, speaking of getting home, uh, you're driving, right? You're driving home. Uh, is it possible you might get a moving violation? Is it possible that you get might get pulled over? You know, getting a speeding ticket costs you a lot more than the speeding ticket itself. The national average for a speeding ticket is 150 bucks. Now, that would be a real, real problem for a lot of folks, merely annoying for others. But you know, the 150 bucks is just the beginning. Because when you get a speeding ticket, your insurance company is informed, and your auto insurance company might increase your auto insurance premium, not just for this year, but for the next three years. It adds, on average, $341 to the cost of your auto insurance. In other words, the ticket was $150. The auto insurance increase is more than double that. And that $340 is per year for a three-year period. That's $1,000 you're going to spend in addition to the price of the ticket for having been pulled over for speeding. Failing to stop at a red light, your insurance will rise on average $333 a year. That's 1000 bucks over three years. Drunk driving, that adds $1,000 a year, nearly 3200 bucks to your insurance premiums if you're caught driving while drunk. So for the sake of your safety, please drive safely. And for the sake of your pocketbook, and your financial future. Please drive within the law. I want to illustrate something for you, just how amazing it is that life is changing. I want to make a statement to you, and I want you to create a mental image of what I'm describing. Single women who have a child out of wedlock I want you to create an image of that woman. Who have you envisioned? A woman having a child out of wedlock. According to data from the Census Bureau and the Centers for Disease Control, the majority of single mothers in America are college-educated and earn an average of $110,000, double the national median household income. Is that the image you had of moms having babies out of wedlock? It's an illustration of how our society is changing. According to the data, a big reason that we have single moms by choice having babies is because of the economic independence that women are enjoying now to a greater degree than in the past. In 1981, if you looked at all the top earners in America, women represented less than 2%. Today, 
women now represent 11% of the top earners in America. In 1977, women earned on average only 59% as much as men. Today, they earn 80% as much as men. In 1970, as a result, 10% of the births were to women who were solo or had a non-marital partner. Today, it's 40%. Women today are recognizing they don't need a husband. They don't need a partner in order to have children. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. In fact, the largest sperm bank in California says a third of its clients are single mothers by choice, recognizing there's a difference between wanting to have children and wanting to have a spouse. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here celebrating the 4th of July weekend with you. 888-PLAN-RICK is our phone number here at Edelman Financial Engines. We've been talking often over the past couple of weeks about the new SEC regulation called Best Interests Regulation BI and the fact that so many are so disappointed in the uh, nature of this new reg, including, as you know, me. Uh, I've been one of the more vocal opponents of this. I mean, it's a great idea, isn't it, to have a regulation that requires financial advisors to serve their clients' best interests, but it's a little sad when the reg doesn't quite do what it's purportedly supposed to do. Well, I don't want you to just hear from me on this subject. I'm happy to bring onto the program Barbara Roper. She's Director of Investor Protection for the Consumer Federation of America, and I'm sure you know of Barbara. She's very well known, a leading consumer advocate on investor protection issues. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, in a nutshell, you hate Reg BI. I really do, and the more I read it, the less I like it. Um, We never expected the SEC to deliver our dream rule here. We've been advocating for strengthened standards for decades now. Um, But what's really concerning here is that despite its, you know, shiny best interest label, this standard doesn't actually require brokers to recommend the investments they reasonably believe are the best for the investor. Imagine if you went to your doctor and they didn't recommend the treatment they thought was best for you. 
I don't think most of us would consider that a best interest standard. And so you're going to have the SEC sort of with these rules actively misleading investors about the protections they're likely to get. Um, and it leaves firms free to create all sorts of incentives that encourage and reward advice that's not in the customer's best interest. And what is, I find so frustrating about all of this is that they get to do so under the heading best interest. So a, a broker can say, yeah, I conform to the regulation requiring me to act in your best interest, when in fact what they're doing isn't necessarily that at all. Exactly. You know, the the – Brokers had one goal out of that this rulemaking, was, which was to get a standard that let them say they acted in the customer's best interest without requiring them to do so, and that's exactly what the SEC delivered. So what's the takeaway for investors? In the face of this, how do investors protect themselves? Well, one of the first things investors need, need to know is that as bad as Reg BI is, the SEC's interpretation of the Advisors Act fiduciary duty is just as bad. Um, I think that's one of the things that has really taken people um, by surprise, taken people aback in, in looking at this SEC action is the degree to which they've weakened and degraded the fiduciary standard under the Advisors Act. So explain and, that. What does that mean? So we've always, you know, the SEC has always maintained that investment advisors have to put the client's interest first at all times. They have to not just disclose conflicts of interest, but avoid conflicts of interest, and that those obligations can't be disclosed or waived, um, you know, by or negotiated away. And the new guidance that they put out walks back from all of those strong commitments so that you know, the the reading of the, their, the Advisors Act, according to the SEC, is that firms have little obligation to the investor except to disclose the ways they're going to take advantage of their clients. Um, and the SEC was adamant after the rule came out that that was just not the case, that those of us who were criticizing their their interpretation simply didn't understand it. Recently, some of the nation's leading securities law professors came out expressing the very same concerns. So I think, you know, we can safely argue now that this isn't about our misinterpreting what they've done. This is about the SEC actually taking action to degrade the standard that investors have relied on in dealing with investment advisors. And we find it rather frustrating because, well, you know, I am an investment advisor. Edelman Financial Engines is the largest independent registered investment advisory firm in the country. And we have prided ourselves on decades of serving the client's best interest, having that fiduciary moniker as a way of saying this matters. It, it is important that your advisors serve your best interests. And so we were thrilled when we saw the SEC coming to the fore saying, we're going to introduce a new rule that will set this as the rule of the land for everybody everywhere. And they spent 1,400 pages saying it, only to find out they didn't really say it at all. Right. And so back to your question, the takeaway for investors is that you know, they're going to have to protect themselves in this environment. And the good news there is that there are many investment advisors who enthusiastically embrace a higher fiduciary standard than the SEC is willing to enforce. 
you know, they may do that by structuring their their advisory practice to minimize conflicts, you know, in a fee-only firm. They may do that, you know, through things like CFEX certification where they're audited to ensure their compliance with, you know, best interest fiduciary principles. Coming in August, all certified financial planners, regardless of business model, will have a fiduciary duty, you know, for all their financial advice that is significantly stronger than the rules the SEC has adopted. So our responsibility as investor advocates and something we're just starting to really map out is going to be to help steer investors toward those advisors who voluntarily embrace a higher standard. Then to lay the foundation for reopening this rulemaking in a new administration so that we can get the strong legal protections that investors need and deserve. And that's what I was going to ask uh, as a follow-on. You're right. For now, the onus is on investors. Caveat emptor, as is so often the case, you need to make sure your advisor is indeed operating as a fiduciary all the time, not merely some of the time, because a lot of advisors are duly licensed. And although they may say, yes, I'm a fiduciary under the SEC rules, it might also be true that they hold an insurance license. And while they're busy selling you an insurance product, they're not acting as a fiduciary at that moment. So you got to figure out what hat they're wearing at any given moment. So the onus is on the investor to figure that out and Talking about it openly with your advisor is a terrific first step. But where do we go from here? The House has voted to stop the funding of the SEC's Reg BI as they're disappointed in how little this rule goes toward protecting consumers. So what's going to happen next to regulation best interests? The reality is this rule was adopted on a partisan vote, you know, with Democratic Commissioner Rob Jackson dissenting. It is contrary to the will of Congress, as expressed in the Dodd-Frank Act, where they laid out what a true uniform fiduciary standard ought to look like. And it was adopted with only the broker-dealer industry in support. And I actually am quite confident that it will be a top priority for a new administration to reopen this rulemaking and, you know, revise and strengthen these rules to provide the protections that investors need. So, you know, I have in one form or another been working on this issue for several decades. And, uh, you know, I'm not known as a Pollyanna, but I actually think this rule is just a temporary bump in the road and that we will have the opportunity to uh, fix it in a new administration. And the strong statements we saw from a number of Democrats in Congress, I think, lend credence to that prediction. However, uh, that new administration is at least two years away and possibly six years away. And in the meantime, as people are dealing with their efforts to achieve retirement security and achieve their financial goals of getting kids into college and caring for aging parents and, and more... We have to deal with the issues that we have today. And so your caveat is, I think, the most important takeaway right now is for us all to be aware of the issue, to not be fooled or lulled into a false sense of confidence because somebody merely... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He happens to say to you, yes, I'm a financial advisor and I adhere to the best interests standard. That's no longer good enough. You must now make sure that they are truly a fiduciary at all times, doing, as you said, Barbara, not only the best to disclose conflicts, but to avoid them as well. Exactly. That's Barbara Roper, the Director of Investor Protection at the Consumer Federation of America. Thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you. When we come back on The Rick Edelman Show, your telephone calls, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that you might outlive your money during retirement? can help you avoid that problem, come to one of our free live events, Three Keys to Retirement Planning. You'll learn about Social Security, estate planning, and investing for retirement. We're doing the events in Seattle, Ann Arbor, Houston, Fort Wayne, St. Louis, Sacramento. The events are free, but there's limited seating at all these events. So register online or find out about upcoming events uh, all around the country. Just visit us at rickedelman.com. Let's uh, go to the telephones. Frank's on the phone. He called in from Lawrence, Massachusetts. Frank, you're on the air. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rick. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Long-time listener here. Well, thank you very much. You're more than welcome to join. Uh, so how can I help you? So, Rick, my, uh, my question pertains to uh, investing in either a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is the first time in my career that I've had the opportunity to choose which one to invest in. Right. I'm 62 years uh, young, uh, so I can uh, invest the maximum, which I believe is about, what, 24500 And it's, it's, a, it's confusing to me because if I can invest post-tax, in the Roth versus in the pre-tax, it seems to me the post-tax investment is actually more dollars, so it would make more sense to invest in the Roth than in the traditional 401k. So can you shed some light on that for me? Sure. Traditionally, you. when you have a 401k at your employer, uh, those contributions generally have been pre-tax, meaning you get a tax deduction for the money you put into the 401k plan. Nowadays, many employers are offering a Roth option within the plan, which says that when you put money in the plan, there's no tax deduction for the contribution. But later in retirement, the withdrawals are tax free, at least under current tax law. So it raises the question, which should you do? Should you put money in and get a tax deduction now or should you get a tax deduction later? It doesn't matter. In other words, investing $10 now and paying the taxes later or investing $8 now and not paying taxes later. It's the same math. doesn't make any difference. And that is why Congress allows you to do either one because it's neutral from a tax perspective. Now we're assuming that there's no change in tax rates between now and the future. Um, If that changes, then so will the math, but on right. the assumption that the today's tax rate is the same as the future tax rate, it doesn't make any difference. Whether you pay the tax now or whether you pay the tax later, the net value of your account is going to be remaining unchanged. 
Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, I appreciate you uh, bringing clarity to the uh, to the question. So here's the way you answer it. Then, do you believe that your tax rate in the future will be lower than your tax rate today? Uh, based on the current uh, situation, I think tax rates will probably be a little bit higher in the future. If that's true, then you would much yeah. rather pay the tax today at today's lower rate. That argues for the yeah. deductible account, not the Roth. Okay. Now, okay. notice I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with you. I'm simply saying, yeah. based on what you said, that's what you should do. Right, right. Okay. Well, again, uh, I appreciate it. It's uh, been very helpful. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for calling, Frank. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Rick. Take care. Have a good day. You too. You can do what Frank did and call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. If you can't call while we're doing the show, no problem. You can just send me your audio clip. Use your smartphone to record your voice and send it via email to askrick at rickedelman.com. That's what Irv did. Here's his question. Hello, Rick. My name is Irv, and thank you for taking this question. Recently, you said that Social Security should be no more than 30 to 40% of someone's expenses in retirement. I am now retired, and my Social Security is about 45% of our expenses. When my wife retires within about two years, our combined Social Security will be about 70% of our expenses. It seems to me that the more that Social Security covers our expenses, the less we need to draw from our investments. Please clarify. Thank you. Yes, we're talking about two different things, Irv. Uh, There's a difference between how much of your expenses Social Security will cover and how much of your expenses you are dependent on for Social Security to be able to allow you to pay for. There's a difference there. So, yeah, it's great that you don't have to touch your investments because you're getting income from Social Security. That's very different from saying without Social Security, I wouldn't be able to afford it. In other words, you're the poster child. You have a lot of money in investments, it sounds like, and a relatively small amount of need lifestyle-wise. You're doing a good job at not spending a lot of money relative to your investments. That's great. So the fact that your expenses are largely being covered by Social Security is fine, but that's not the way it is meant to be for most folks. In other words, what we discover is that according to the national statistics, for more than 60% of American retirees, they get most of their money from Social Security, meaning without Social Security, they would be in poverty. That's what you want to avoid. So you're doing it correctly, Irv. And I wish everybody else was as well. So look at your own situation. You know how much money you need on a monthly basis to support your lifestyle. Where is that money going to come from? Now, prior to retirement, the money comes from your job or jobs. So that paycheck or all the paychecks that you're collecting between you and your spouse is what you use to pay your bills. What happens when the paychecks stop? How will you then pay your bills? Well, you're going to turn to three other sources. One is a pension. You're probably not getting a pension. Only 17% of companies offer them these days. So unless you're working for a state or local or federal government, you're not going to qualify for a pension most likely. 
Social Security, which pretty much everybody is qualifying for, and that provides a certain amount of income. The very most is around 2500 a month. The average check is 1400 a month. You can find out exactly what your Social Security benefit will be. Just go to ssa.gov, and you can very easily discover how much you can expect to receive from Social Security. Is the amount of money you'll get enough to pay your bills. Can you live on the 1400 a month? That's the average check. Can you live even on the 2500 a month, which is the maximum check? So if that's not enough, you got to go to item number three, your investments. Do you have enough money in investments to provide you the income you need beyond pensions and Social Security? That's the real question. Now, amazingly, most Americans don't know the answer to that question. Most Americans don't know how much money they're going to need in investments to be able to generate the income in retirement. They don't know how much income their investments will be able to generate. They don't know how many years they'll be able to receive that income before they deplete their savings and investments. Most folks have no idea what their future expenses are going to be in retirement because they've got no experience doing any of this. That's why you turn to a financial planner. We have that experience. We have that expertise. That's our job. It's really when your car breaks down. You don't know what's wrong. That's why you take it to a mechanic, someone who has the experience and expertise, the tools to be able to fix it for you. Same thing with a financial planner. So you want to make sure that you are able to sustain your lifestyle in retirement for as long as you might live from the troika of pensions, Social Security, and investments. And the sooner you talk with a financial planner, the more easily you can make adjustments needed to be able to ensure that your retirement security is everything you want it to be. Because if we have a lot of years to take advantage of planning for this, we can make small tweaks in your expenses or your income. But if retirement is, you know, Thursday, well, you know, then I'm not sure how quickly we can uh, really get all this figured out. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money here on The Rick Edelman Show. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Let us help you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If we've helped so many thousands of folks just like you all across the country, 888-752-6742. Online, you can visit us at RiceDelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at RiceDelman.com. It's hour two of the Rick Edelman Show this 4th of July holiday weekend here on KFI AM 640. We were talking about Social Security in the last hour and how so many millions of American retirees are so dependent on it. Did you know that most Americans are doing it wrong? According to a study from the University of Michigan in conjunction with the Social Security Administration, almost all retirees claim their Social Security benefits at the wrong time. I am very disappointed. Because they're choosing to start their benefits at the wrong time, they are missing out collectively over the course of their lifetimes on 3.4 
trillion dollars in benefits you can't be serious man you cannot be serious yeah i'm afraid i am here's what it comes down to if you retire at 62 and you're eligible for 725 dollars in benefits on a monthly basis did you know that if you waited until you were 70 instead of getting 700 bucks you would get almost 1300 that's the difference In this study, they ran 500,000 scenarios for 2,000 different people. They included a variety of different market conditions. All told, they produced 1 billion computer simulations. Yeah, these guys need a hobby. And what they discovered is that only 4% of Americans wait until age 70 to claim Social Security benefits. But 57% should be waiting. That is astonishing. 70% start receiving their benefits prior to age 64, but only 7% should be doing that. The lost income over the course of the lifetime, more than $110,000 per household. I don't know. Do you want to throw away $110,000? That's what is happening because people are choosing to start their Social Security benefits at the wrong age. 43%. Now, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm not suggesting, therefore, that you should just assume that the correct thing to do is to delay the start of your Social Security benefits. Notice how I phrased my conversation. I said that people are choosing to start their benefits at the wrong age. I didn't say that they're choosing to start their benefits at too early an age. In fact, this research found that nearly half would be better off by starting their benefits prior to age 70. So I'm simply saying that you want to do it like Goldilocks. You don't want to start too soon. You don't want to start too late. You want to get it just right. In fact, according to the data, if everybody took their benefits at the right time, the poverty rate among the elderly would be cut in half. That's how big a deal this is. And it's not just the relative poor who would benefit. The wealthiest retirees, if they chose the right time to start their benefits, would get 14% more over the course of their lives. Everybody would benefit. Those near poverty and those who are wealthy. And it is amazing how complicated Social Security is. When you should start your benefits depends not just on your age and your life expectancy, but your working record, how much money you're earning, whether you're still working. If you're married, how old is your spouse? What is the age disparity between you and your spouse? How long have you been married? Is your spouse working? What's your spouse's working record? Do you have children under the age of 16? Is one of you disabled? Are you divorced? Are you widowed? There are so many details and factors, it's absurdly complicated. That's why we're doing seminars all around the country, which includes a robust conversation on Social Security. It's why when you talk with my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines, Social Security is a massive part of the conversation because it really makes a big difference. More than half of Americans apply for their benefits before they reach their full retirement age. And there are myths that interfere with people's efforts to get it right. For example, if you have a shorter life expectancy, should you claim your benefits earlier? Well, 
a lot of people will say, yeah, absolutely, because the only reason for delaying your benefits to get a bigger amount of money is if you're going to live long enough to enjoy the bigger amount of money. If you have a short life expectancy, then you shouldn't delay. Well, I'll grant you that theory, but here's the problem. According to the Stanford Center on Longevity, you know, I'm on the advisory board at the Center on Longevity, most people underestimate how long they're going to live. A 65-year-old male can expect to live to 84, a woman to age 87. Couples who are 65, one of them can expect to live to 92. And oh, by the way, if you're in your mid-50s, one in two women in their mid-50s, one in three men in their mid-50s will live past 90. So when you're saying, well, I don't think I'm going to have a shorter life expectancy, no, you're not because of health care. Improvements in medical technology, nutrition, exercise, by the time you are 84. I mean, this is the funny thing. If a 65-year-old today can expect to live to 84, guess what's going to be like in this world by the time you are 84? Life expectancy will then be into the 90s, even beyond into your hundreds. If you think you should take your Social Security benefits early because you're not going to live very long, I think you're kidding yourself. How about this one? Here's a very common myth. I have to claim my Social Security retirement benefit as soon as I quit working. No, you don't. Nobody said you have to do that. Just because you're not working doesn't mean you must start your Social Security benefit. Every year you delay from 62 to 70, your benefit grows 8% per year. Guaranteed by law. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you got a guaranteed 8% return from your investments? So if you're choosing, well, should I start my Social Security benefit at this young age or should I just tap into my investments for a little while so that I can delay my Social Security benefits and when they start, I can cut back on my investment withdrawals. And finally, how about this one? I need to apply for my Social Security benefits before it goes bankrupt. Dude, look, Social Security is not going bankrupt. The trust fund is being depleted. That's a big deal. I don't want to minimize the importance of that. But the trust fund's depletion, which occurs currently projected in 2035, first of all, we're working hard to get Congress to solve the problem and to fix it so that doesn't happen. Second of all, even if it does happen, that means there's a reduction in benefits of about 25%. It doesn't mean the elimination of the Social Security system itself. You do not need to apply before that happens. And besides, what makes you think that when Congress fixes the problem, they're not going to help solve the problem by addressing current retiree benefits as well? So you need to get off of these myths. You need to make sure you have the facts. You need to make sure you're addressing your retirement security correctly. It's so funny. People, when they talk about retirement security, retirement planning, Investment management, everybody tends to think that's as financial planners, we're working only on that third piece, the investment management. But you know, when you do it right, your financial planning takes into consideration much more than your investment management. That's a key part. It's an important element here at Edelman Financial Engines. We're managing more than $200 billion in assets for individuals and families all around the country, a lot of it in the workplace 401k plans, a lot of it outside of those plans. But there's so much more to your retirement planning than just the retirement plan. How you handle your Social Security benefits are a key element of this. As pedestrian and mundane as that might appear to be, the impact is massive. And that's why you want to make sure you're getting the advice that you need. So if Social Security is headed your way as you're approaching age 62 
And that means in your 50s, you've got to start anticipating this. You can't wait till you're 62 and then simply ask the question, well, should I take my benefits or not? I mean, if you are 62 and that's your question, great, call us, we'll answer it. But we'd much rather talk to you when you're in your 50s. Why? So that we can plan over the next decade. So that when 62 arrives, we know what to do at that moment. If you're already in your 60s, you've not yet started Social Security, and you're trying to figure out whether or not you should, call us, 888-PLAN-REC, so that we can help make sure that you're doing it right. Because we want to give you a new nickname when you leave our offices at Edelman Financial Engines. We want to call you Goldilocks. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to the truth about money. Triple Eight Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Glad you're with me on the program. Uh, yeah, how, you, how are you choosing your investments? Um, this is a pretty fundamental question that I want to ask you about your investment management strategy, or, or actually, I'll use the word filter. How do you sort your investments? How is your investment advisor sorting your investments? There's a thing out there that used to be called SRI that has morphed into something called ESG. And it is a strategy used by some that, um, frankly, is a pretty interesting sales pitch to it. It's it's fun to, to consider and talk about. But there are investment implications for you. What am I talking about? SRI, Socially Responsible Investing. Now it has morphed into something bigger and broader. Environment, Social, and Governance, ESG. Basically taking the attitude that you want to invest your money into companies that share your values. Who would disagree with that? I mean, that is certainly a laudable attitude. And it gets translated into saying, I don't want to invest in tobacco stocks. I don't want to invest in companies that make nuclear weapons. I don't want to invest in companies that uh, manufacture products with child slave labor, I, you know, and so on. Now, these are laudable. Here's the problem. Investing is about generating returns. Anytime we place a non-economic factor to an economic decision, we're going to hurt ourselves. But wait, you may say, that doesn't matter because I'm willing to earn a little bit less in exchange for encouraging social reform at companies. If enough people walk away from tobacco stocks then those stocks will collapse in value and those companies will stop making tobacco and they'll start growing broccoli instead. And we will create social reform by moving our money in a socially responsible way. Well, that's a great theory too. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked. None of the evidence has demonstrated that socially responsible investing, ESG investing, translates into either better returns for the investor or social impact for society. And in fact, CalPERS, the largest pension plan in America, 
has just made changes where they were making investments following an ESG mandate, they are no longer doing so. They have now, through their research, recognized that they are losing money or failing to earn as much, and their divestment of certain companies has not brought about the social change that they had hoped. And therefore, they're recognizing that their first and foremost obligation are to the pensioners, the state employees who are depending on CalPERS to deliver the pension income as promised. CalPERS has $366 billion in assets. They're $140 billion short of their promises. And given the choice of maintaining a ban on tobacco stocks, which has been in place since 2000, or investing in tobacco stocks and earning the returns available from it for the benefit of the retirees who are counting on the income, well, this is the challenge. And in fact, the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College found that the average annual return for pension plans with divestment requirements earned about a half a percent per year less than pension plans that didn't have those social screens. And so it's increasingly hard as a fiduciary to defend your actions in this kind of environment. And the reason I cite it for you is to help you make that decision as well. If you're buying individual stocks, it might be somewhat easy not totally easy, but I should say easier, to use a social screen. You don't want to buy a tobacco stock? Okay, great. Don't do that. But if you say, I don't want to invest in companies involved in nuclear power, well, you just eliminated General Electric, the makers of light bulbs. Because guess what? One of the divisions of their companies does that. See, that's the problem is that big companies are now international corporate conglomerates with so many business activities. It's hard to determine if the stock you really like is possibly got a business division and something you don't like and without you knowing it. It gets even more difficult when you're using mutual funds and exchange traded funds because now you're not investing in individual stocks. You're investing in baskets of stocks. You might have a 1,000 stocks in a single stock fund. You don't know the listing of stocks that are there. The fund manager isn't asking your opinion, nor do you have any say over what stocks are in or not in the portfolio. And it becomes very difficult. It even gets more complicated when you try to choose a fund that does profess to have a social screen. How do you know that the fund's screening matches your own. For example, they may say, we don't invest in tobacco stocks. Okay, I get that. But what if they then say, we don't believe in sex outside of the bonds of marriage. We don't believe that the company should be providing health care benefits to non-married partners. Do you agree with that? A lot fewer feel strongly about that than about tobacco or guns or alcohol. And so you see how it gets very dicey to deal with. And that's the real challenge. So 
our view is the most effective way to approach this is to invest your money with an investment objective and then take some of the profits that you have earned and donate them to the nonprofit organizations that support the causes you strongly believe in. Let's engage in social activity in a social activist platform while we engage in our investment activity in an investment management platform. And that way we will literally have the best of both worlds. I'm Rick Edelman. If you've got questions about your portfolio, about whether you should be doing this or not, we can help you answer the question. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. Talk with my colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines. We'll even show you how to do the inverse. You know there's a fund out there that only buys tobacco stocks, gun stocks, alcohol stocks, and casino stocks? Yeah, there's an investment strategy for everybody. Oh, I want to share with you an update from a story we did uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about the risks you take to your wealth and your health by buying a home that forces you into a long commute at work. Now there's a new study that provides support for my argument, my caution that you should not live and work far apart from each other because the long commute and your effort to buy a house that's more affordable far away is really a bad idea economically. Now a study from Randstad shows that long commutes are not just time-consuming, they affect mental and physical health. 24% say they live far away from their jobs because they can't afford to live nearby. 32% admit to checking work emails, calls, and texts while driving. 33% of Gen Z say they have gotten into an accident because they've checked work emails while driving. 27% say the commuting negatively impacts their mood. 37% say commuting significantly limits time for activities like going to the gym, seeing friends and family, and engaging in hobbies. And 30% say they often skip social hours and work after hours meetings because of their long commute. If you're dealing with the question of where should I live, before you make that choice, call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. If you are unhappy about your commute, call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. Let us examine your income, your expenses, your career situation, and help you figure out what's the ideal location and type of housing for you and your family. We're able to help you like we've helped so many others just like you. Give us the chance. 888-PLAN-RIC. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us. Taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show. Heading off to Olive Branch, Mississippi. David, you're on the air. Welcome. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the show. Hey, Rick. How are you? Doing great, thank you. How can I help? Hey, um, I just turned 60 a few weeks ago. And after 32 years working for the same company, we had a restructuring and I was let go. Hmm. I'm receiving a year severance package where I will get paid for 52 weeks the same amount I've been getting paid. Mm -hmm. 
between pension and the 401k I have, I've got about 1.5 million to invest. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to protect and grow the nest egg, but would like to consider not working again mm-hmm. and taking out monthly income from the balance on, on the earnings. I, I need about $6,000 a month. I guess my question is, what's a reasonable rate of return these days for a million and a half without having to worry about touching the nest egg? I am, you know, at my age, somewhat conservative, but I'm sure I have to have a balanced portfolio with some aggressive investments in there as well. Appreciate your response. So I'm sorry to have you go through that restructuring at work. It's a common tale. Uh, the company seems to be doing right by you by giving you pay for an entire year at your uh, current salary. And at your age, um, we have to see if work becomes optional. For the sake of this conversation, we're going to assume that you need to generate $6,000 a month from your investments. So you need $72,000 a year in income. You've got $1.5 million available to you in your savings. And that translates to about 5% per year in distributions. If we included Social Security, it becomes even easier. You need even less than 5% per year. So bottom line, you're in excellent financial shape. But you said something really interesting. You said that you didn't want to touch your nest egg. Does that mean never, meaning you want to die with the same $1.5 million invested as you have today? Well, no, obviously I would like that to grow. I, I, I don't want to start taking out principal for my, for my lifestyle. Oh, wait, wait, but, wait, 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 um, wait, wait, David. Does this mean when you okay. die at age 100, you want to have the same balance in your account? You never want to touch the balance. I would like the balance to grow, but I never... As of right now, oh, you mean you when you die, you want to be wealthier than you are today? Absolutely. Why? Well, for for my kids. Okay. All right. Now we're talking. So you are interested in preserving your assets for the benefit of your children and grandchildren? Yes. What if I were to show you an easier way to accomplish the task that will allow you to spend more of your money on yourself while also protecting your inheritance for the children and grandchildren? You've got my attention. It's called life insurance. That's what life insurance is for. In other words, instead of you putting $1.5 million aside where you'll never touch it so that it's there for your kids, why don't you just buy a life insurance policy in the amount of $1.5 million? The premium for that will be pennies on the dollar. Hello? Okay, yeah, I'm processing. And I'll even take so, it a step yeah. further. Since the $1.5 million is for the benefit of the children, why not make them pay for the policy? <laughs> well, I've got one in college and one in his first year of full-time employment. So you see my point. We can... I, I, do, I do see your point. We can, through effective financial planning, manage all of the above goals that you have. Because sometimes the goals are in conflict. You want to make sure your lifestyle is comfortable. You also want to protect and support your children and eventually grandchildren. All of that is fabulous. We can accomplish a lot of that. So the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this is that if we want to generate for you the income you need out of your portfolio with the added caveat, you can't touch principal, generating 5% per year out of the portfolio becomes a challenge because it's likely that 5% per year withdrawals will exceed the growth 
of the portfolio. When we look at the okay. interest and dividends and growth of the account, I'm not sure it's going to produce 5% per year all the time. And there's another thing we haven't even talked about yet that is the elephant in the room. Do you know what that is? Uh, not yet, but you're going to tell me. Inflation. Because if you need six grand a month right now, guess how much you're going to need 10 years from now, 20 years from now. When you're in your 80s, you're going to need twice as much income as you need today because of the rising cost of living. Health care gets more expensive. Property taxes increase. Groceries increase. Gasoline prices increase and so on. So if you need six grand today at age 60 you're likely going to need twice as much, assuming a 3.2% average annual rate of inflation, which is what the average rate of inflation has been since 1926. Therefore, costs double over a 20, 25-year period of time. We not only have to produce enough profit in the portfolio to give you the income you need today, we have to have enough profit in the portfolio to stay in the portfolio, to let the portfolio grow in value so that it can produce even more income for you next year to offset the cost of inflation. See how challenging it gets? Now, it's a lot easier if it's okay with you that we spend down your principal. Because if you're willing to die broke, if you're willing to have your account value erode over the next 40 years, then we can more easily generate for you 5% per year of the portfolio value as an income stream. Social Security will also make it dramatically easier for you because once you start to receive that, we don't have to generate 6000 a month out of the portfolio. We've only got to generate 4600 and that gets you know so much easier. In other words, instead of generating $72,000 a year, we only have to generate 55000 a year. And to do that on a $1.5 million portfolio is so much easier. It's not a 5% rate of withdrawal that we have to produce. It's only... 3.6% per year, which is so much easier to produce with a higher degree of confidence that we're not going to erode principal or go broke over time. Right. So Social Security makes a really big difference to you. And we'll deal with that question when you turn 62. Bottom line is this, David. You're in excellent financial condition. Yes, you are, in fact, able to retire now forever. And all we want to really do is make sure that we're maximizing the effectiveness and efficiency of the overall portfolio. We want to make sure that the money is invested in a proper methodology so that we're managing your risks that exist in the investment landscape, that we're able to generate the monthly income that you need, that we are protecting your children either by not spending down your principal or by providing life insurance to the children. And we want to make sure that we're taking into consideration the impact of inflation. I am highly confident, based on the resources you have available and the income you say you need from that, that you can achieve all the above. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, so good for you. I'm really uh, glad to see you're in the condition that you're in. And the key now is to make sure we structure a financial plan to execute and deliver on the objectives that you have. It's really that simple. Sure. I like the idea of life insurance. I had really not, I've got a small life insurance policy now term, uh, but I like that idea uh, where, where I would be able to forward that to my kids upon my death. Well, like the, that. the problem with the term policy is that it expires at some point. Do you know what the term is? In, Do you have a, in four years. In four years, your term policy expires. Well, that means you have to do one of two things. Term. You either have to die within four years, 
or we have to replace your policy with a whole life policy that will remain in effect no matter how long you live. In other words, for your whole life. Okay. So normally we recommend term life for our clients because normally their need for insurance disappears. But for estate planning purposes, term life doesn't work because you need to make sure that the insurance benefit is paid upon your death no matter when that might be. So whole life insurance is a more appropriate solution for you from an estate planning perspective. And are you married? Uh, not anymore. Okay. So we don't have to be concerned about a spouse because if you were married, then we would have to get a special kind of whole life policy called a second to die policy, meaning the policy doesn't pay off at the first death because the money goes to the surviving spouse. It's the second death that the money goes to the children. And therefore, we would want an insurance policy that insured both of you and paid the death benefit at the second death called a second to die policy. You don't have to worry about that because you're not married. Correct. So this is why there's no substitute for effective financial planning for all the above. We can tackle this for you if you like. Our closest office to you is in Memphis, which is, I'm not sure that's terribly close. It's not even a big deal whether or not you're within driving distance of our office. We have clients in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. Even our clients who live around the corner rarely come to the office. Everything is by phone and email these days. So we're happy to help you however you choose to be helped. Real simple. Uh, If you would like us to. Um, I I definitely would like to pursue that. Well, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to get your telephone number, and I'll have one of my colleagues give you a call. Okay. Rick, thanks very much for your help. I appreciate your insight. You're very welcome, David. Good for you, and uh, congratulations on your success. Thank you. I'm Rick Edelman. We're taking telephone calls here on The Rick Edelman Show. You can do the same, 888-PLAN-RICK, not just now, but anytime you like. Give us a call, and we'll answer your financial questions as well. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. I was talking uh, with you over the last couple of weeks about the new SEC regulation that purportedly is designed to improve consumer protection with investors, but there's a lot of criticism in the industry about whether that is in fact the case. It's called Regulation Best Interest, Regulation BI, and it basically says that investment advisors under this new rule have to either avoid conflicts of interest or disclose them. This is actually, in many people's opinions, a weakening of the regulations, which previously said you had to both avoid and disclose. You couldn't merely choose one or the other. And there is so much unhappiness about it that Maxine Waters, the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, put forth an amendment in the House that would block funding to the SEC to prevent it from implementing this new regulation. The House passed that amendment, and we are now waiting to see what the Senate does, and there's not uh, a lot of optimism that the Senate will block it, but we will have to see. So it just gives you an illustration that you have organizations like the Consumer Federation of America, we talked earlier today on the program with Barbara Roper from uh, the CFA talking about how upset the CFA is and many other consumer groups feeling the very same way. We share that angst, but not everybody is unhappy with the regulation. In fact, while you have the House voting to prevent the SEC from implementing it because it doesn't go far enough, You have Morgan Stanley saying it goes too far. In fact, Nevada has created its own fiduciary rule 
And Morgan Stanley says that if Nevada goes forward with adopting it, Morgan Stanley will stop doing business in the state of Nevada. Wells Fargo, Charles Schwab, Edward Jones have also said they're considering terminating business in the state of Nevada. The Securities and Financial Markets Association, SIFMA, a big trade group of the broker-dealer industry, they say that many of its member firms might discontinue serving residents of Nevada if they go through with this. And the Financial Services Institute says many of its members are going to cease doing business in New Jersey if New Jersey goes forward with its fiduciary rules. So it's fascinating to me that we have the industry saying if you force us to serve the client's best interests, we're going to quit serving them at all. Well, my attitude is don't let the door hit you on the way out. Because if you're unwilling to provide products and advice and recommendations that are only in the client's best interest, then what do we need you for? It's like a doctor saying, I'm only going to prescribe pills if you let me prescribe pills that hurt people. Really? Do we want those kinds of physicians? Do we want those kinds of pills? I don't think so. Why would we want them in the financial industry? And now comes along the Center for Economic Justice. The Center for Economic Justice has issued a report saying that insurance companies are incentivized to develop indexed annuity products that have disingenuous product illustrations. Have you ever met with an insurance agent who shows you an indexed annuity product and says, hey, you shouldn't invest in retirement accounts. You shouldn't invest in stocks or bonds or mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. You shouldn't have money in bank CDs. What you should do, these insurance agents say, you should put your money into an indexed annuity. And they offer you something that's called a product illustration that illustrates for you how the investment will perform. And according to the Center for Economic Justice, these product illustrations are disingenuous. And insurance companies, they say, are incentivized to use them. And they say they have a specific issue with a hybrid indexed annuity product. They say that these insurers are incentivized, quote, to create products designed to produce ever more extravagant and fantastic illustrations. They note that there are more than 90 hybrid indices available on the market. Sales of these products have doubled to $25 billion over the past five years. And the Center for Economic Justice says that consumers are being bamboozled by buying products they don't understand, supported by sales literature and marketing pitches that create confusion due to disingenuous illustrations. Now, not everybody agrees with the Center for Economic Justice, I must add. There have been those that have issued statements opposing, disagreeing their conclusions, including the Insured Retirement Institute, the American Council of Life Insurers, and the National Association of Fixed Annuities. You can take all that for what it's worth. Hey, let me ask you a question. You plan on retiring at some point, don't you? When you do, how long do you plan to live? How long do you think you'll live in retirement? You can come up with a number, right or wrong, plus or minus. I'll bet you're fairly accurate to some degree in a range. How long will your money last? And will it last as long as you do? When I say money, I don't just mean the value of your investments. I mean your overall income, which comes not just from investments, but also pensions and Social Security. According to the World Economic Forum, 65-year-olds have enough savings to cover only 9.7 years. 
of retirement income, which means they're broke before they're 75. Could that be you? Is it possible that you might not have enough money to last your entire lifetime? I'm willing to bet that you said, in answer to my question, how long will you live, your answer was more than 10 years. You're probably assuming you'll live beyond age 75. You're going to live to 85, 95, 105? According to the World Economic Forum, your money won't last nearly as long. According to the financial wellness programs, only one in four Americans say they feel financially prepared for retirement. And I guess those two numbers sum it all up. How long I'm going to live versus how long my money will last? 80% say they are not assured they have the best retirement saving strategies available to them. Three in 10 don't even know if their employer offers a retirement plan. Look, we all know that a lot of companies don't offer a retirement plan, but for you to not even know if they do, all you got to do is ask. And 25%, and I think this is a condemnation on the industry as well as the federal government for the crazy regs it's created, 25% say that saving for retirement is too complicated. And I sadly have to agree with you on that point. Uh, It is complicated. The choices you have to make in your workplace, is there a retirement plan? How much should you contribute to it? What investment choices should you select? When should you make changes to them? When you change jobs, what do you do with the money that's already in your plan? For money outside of your plan, the money you're saving busy on your own, should you save in a joint account with your spouse? Should you save in an IRA account? What kind of investment and savings should you be doing? How much should you be saving? How often should you be contributing? What are the tax implications? What are the risk implications? What are the fees? Yes, it is complicated. And sadly, that's why my profession exists. You know, when my dad was growing up, when he was in his 20s, 30s, 40s, there was no such occupation as financial planner. It didn't exist. Life was a lot simpler back then. It isn't any longer. And that's why There is a large and growing industry of those of us who provide financial advice, dealing with not only the retirement savings question, but insurance, taxes, homeownership and mortgages, employee benefits, paying for weddings, paying for college, caring for aging parents, long-term care, buying automobiles. All of it is extraordinarily complicated these days, and that's why we exist in the financial planning profession. And that's why we're here for you at Edelman Financial Engines. We're the largest independent registered investment advisor in the country. We've been doing this for 34 years and we're happy to help you as well. So give us a call because the same surveys that say that a lot of people feel it's too complicated, 60% who receive retirement advice from a financial professional say they have, quote, definitely benefited from the service. And so we're ready to help you as well. Give us a call at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. I can always tell when someone listens to the radio show because when they walk up to me out on the street, they say, hey, Rice, how you doing? Yep, they call me Rice. I'm Rick Edelman. Have a happy Independence Week weekend. That's a wrap. As a reward, you'll have no radio for the rest of the week. Go to your room. See you next week. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.